I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Sonanta Walker here, and we are doing another episode of our fabulous series that we've had so much response to, Take Your Power Back, with my amazing co-host, Evelyn Ryan. Evelyn, thank you again for um, coming back and doing this series with me. Thanks. Another great uh, Saturday morning. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. So what we've done here at Listeners is something unique. Uh, We have two people that are, they work with Evelyn and they follow her on her um, Your Life Lifter Facebook pages. And they're Cynthia. Cynthia, thank you so much for coming on. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And Paula, thank you for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) So we're going to talk about power imbalances and what that we're going to dive into what that means, um, what that means when you are a victim of someone who is abusing um, power and what that power balance is actually about, um, how you can be susceptible to it or more. Well, actually, everybody on the planet can be susceptible to a power imbalance. That's that's just straight up you know, out of the gate, but we can be um, more susceptible to it, or it can be more damaging to us or take us longer to figure out that we've given away our power, depending on what our childhood was like, um, what relationships we've had as adults and so on. So today we're going to really dive into that and also talk about, you know, the social media component to this, which is just yet another way for people who are extremely abusive, toxically abusive to try to take over your power and create that imbalance. So Evelyn, I want to start with you. Um, Why, you know, I know why, but our listeners don't know why. Why was this topic important for you and also for us to have guests come on? Well, then the title of the show is Take Your Power Back and title of my book is called Take Your Power Back deliberately because it is the, I think the most common tactic that abusers use and exploiters use to get conscientious people off balance and more susceptible to their manipulation tactics. And, and this starts, we learn this, this imbalance of power or relationships with the power is imbalanced in our youth. 
So we here, all of us here today, we are adult survivors of childhood abuse. However, this imbalance of power becomes a factor in all stages of, of our lives. Like you said, everyone is susceptible, but abuse survivors are more, are more susceptible because that is what we are triggered by the most, right? In letting down our guard and being vulnerable to uh, abuse, to abusers, excuse me. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and it, it's so insidious that you, and especially if you've grown up with this, it takes a lot of work to wake up and, and have what's been going on subconsciously for you, unconsciously for you, um, because that's how you were raised or brought into this world. It takes a long time to unpack that and figure out, oh, okay, um, I've unknowingly given my power away or I just never was allowed to have it. And, uh, you know, as an adult often is when we start that journey of, okay, I'm going to take it back aptly named for your book so that you can not be under that kind of control and be in full, you know, autonomy of yourself. Exactly. That's exactly what, you know, why I, I wanted to discuss this topic for the show because everyone is susceptible. I mean, it just happened to me recently on a remote class that I took. It was just unbelievable for me to see, but it, but did it anger me? Yes. Did it trigger me? Yes. But I did not give up my power to the aggressor, right? Because I'm healed. But I was thinking as the class was, was going on, it was a four day class, 10 hour a day class, that how I would have, I had asked myself the question, how would I have reacted differently several years ago before, you know, early on in my, in my healing? And I, and I would have reacted totally uh, differently. So, and I see this, this theme consistently the ladies who are with us today, they're, you know, followers at your life lifter. And I asked them to join us on the show today because I, I saw this, the same issue that they're dealing with in their lives as adults, right. That they also discussed going on in their childhoods, in their employment, in their relationships. So it's this common theme that we see. And I do write about it in, um, in the book, but I, but I wanted the, the ladies to be, to talk themselves about the issues that they specifically have dealt with and how in their healing, right, they've learned how to take their power back. And again, it's an incremental process. So it's an incremental process. And so uh, we're all going to be at all stages of, of comfort in taking our power back, learning what our, what our self-worth is. Um, and also learning the the tools, assertiveness tools, and other tools that that can be very effective in in um, us asserting our power when we're being triggered and when others are trying to exploit our power from us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I'm going to go to just to prepare you, Cynthia. I'm going to go to you next, um, but I'm going to say something first. I find it interesting too, where you know we can be farther along on our journey and or or just at a different place on our on our journey towards you know really recognizing our own power and using it and uh and still people are going to come in that you know try to want to uh derail you i mean it's not a i think the thing that goes on that's unfortunate is i see this with me 
I just said this to someone the other day. I said, yeah, I've been dealing with someone who uh, saw me and my network as some kind of target in order to further their own career or their own pocketbook. And uh, took me a little bit to kind of figure out what the heck was going on. And then once I finally had the proof that I require to make a decision, I was like, boop, I'm out. And there was no fuss, no muss. I just stopped communicating with the person and they fired and they fired themselves. And, um, but I remember saying to someone else, yeah, this is going on. And they went, really you like, they were shocked that I would still have problems like this <laughs> because I should be beyond it or whatever. And I said, Oh, that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting take. That's really judgmental. And that's really, um, not fair because everybody you I don't care how far along you are in the journey these people exist and they're going to come in and they're going to test you and you don't get to this point where you're like I'm healed from all things and then it doesn't happen to you again it's it's not about that it's not about it not happening again it's about how you handle it as it is going to continue happening throughout your life does that make sense that makes yeah, total sense Okay, so Cynthia, I want to um, um, take this to you. What, um, you know, what, give us an idea of, you know, what this means to you and how you've seen this kind of, you know, play out, um, let's say, in your childhood. Mm -hmm. um, well, in my childhood, I was uh, one of four children. I was the third child. Um, I was abused starting at a very young age by my mother, uh, who sort of broke the bond in a very violent act when I was 19 months. Uh, and um, so I literally got, you know, pushed away from uh, the family context. Um, I didn't really have a voice. Um, actually, I had a hard time discovering my voice because I, I was so dissociated. So, uh, but eventually I got help in fourth grade. I was able to get, you know, support from, a, from my school teacher uh, who encouraged me to come out of my shell. And I had a best friend, Dana, who... Um, allowed me to open up and um, was loving of me. So I learned a lot when I was nine in terms of coming. I had some developmental delays up until that point, and then I really started to blossom. So then by the age of 10, I realized I needed to get out of this family context. So uh, from that point on, I, um, I, had, I started three businesses by the time I was 12 because I realized, given the depression of my mother, my mother and her rages, and my father, who took his rage out on my mother, mostly emotional abuse, um, I saw that uh, how I could uh, best not have that in my life was to um, uh, get an education and be on my own financially, which is what I did. But every single step along the way, you know, I did not have support from my family because in a narcissistically affected family relate family environment, um, you being the scapegoat, you trying to get out of that um, is, is problematic to them because it's you're uh, upsetting the balance of that family. Mm -hmm. So it was real rough. Uh, yeah. But I, I did it, and I had a I've had a significant career. However, um, so family dynamics scapegoated, got out of the family. Uh, and where I'm at now, there's a, uh, because of the work that I'm doing, there is a uh, re-triggering or a repetition of that same family dynamic. Um, and in a nutshell, I mean, it's, um, 
it's uh, male-female relationships where um, you're expected to be a certain kind of woman mm. uh, and supportive of of men, and you're supposed to um, if you don't if you don't um, if you don't do what is expected of you, which is essentially to give your power away, uh, you're considered a threat and you're marginalized. Um, so what has happened to me in a series of of jobs, this one current, it's like the same stuff keeps coming up. Um, you know, the flying monkeys are the other women who do play that role and yes. uh, they, you know, seek to seek to push me down uh, to g gain favor with the men that are in power. And the men that are in power, they're their uh, their their abuse is denied. Their uh, uh, their their abuse is denied. Um, and one thing that comes clear, which is for me the same thing as my family, I was the um, the the tall poppy. I mean, I was able to succeed uh, academically and then out there in the world. Um, and the same thing with this my work environment. I'm dealing with very mediocre people who don't stay focused, who really don't want to do their work. And um, and I come in conscientious and want to do a hard day's work. So ironically, I am punished for, and I think it's gender related, for uh, standing out. And so you get various toxic people. In this case, in this current company, I have two, or maybe three now, in, a, in uh, a, a sales group of like ten people, who are um, who have tried to like knock me down, uh, and I realize now I don't have support from my boss because typically what you see in these these environments is that the men that are supposed to be the boss, who clearly see things going on, uh, they also want to be popular with the with the mass with the group. Right. Um, so you get the toxic people. You get the flying monkeys, and then you get the boss who's weak. And so, so no one no one in that environment is operating out of their power. Right, right. Men, the men and, aren't. The women aren't either. You know, the masses aren't either. No one's actually operating from a sense of power. They may be trying to wield power, but it's not actual, you know, personal power. Yes. And see, I stand out as a threat because I am strong. I'm strong for because of so many years of having to pull myself up by my bootstraps, uh, relying on nobody else but myself, even though I, I've had um, obstacles put in my way by my own family. I mean, that is, I have gained my own personal power, uh, and that is a threat. I, and, and I come into these situations, and I'm, I'm very successful. Uh, and because I because I can focus and I can do the work that they uh, that is required of me, and for some reason that they don't want me to be successful, and that's exactly how my family was, because that the focus on that. Why aren't they Why aren't they doing the same? I just wanted to insert myself here and and just say that Cynthia is is bringing up such an important point here because uh, we notice these patterns like Kristen was was mentioning and everyone not using their power and they and they use aggression in, instead and the the abusers the exploiters will use it covertly or overtly mm -hmm. but the other part of this 
is that they target us because of our power, right? And not because we're weak, they target us because we are strong and, uh, and it may be on a conscious or a subconscious le level, the pathologically envious of that. What stood out in my mind by what you said is how is your personal resilience to this in being able to uh, to recognize this but the, but again um, when we are conditioned over and over and over and over again uh, with aggression from from uh, at work and all aspects of our lives and even from our our own therapists right um, yeah. more covertly right um, like Kristen has said, we need to bring this into our into our level of awareness. What I've learned personally is like very, very early on to recognize this. So as we mature, as we go through our healing, we can recognize these, these signs more and be able to respond, not aggressively, but calmly, um, because they the minute that we respond respond with aggression, right, or with anger, uh, overt anger. You can be angry and say, this makes, you know, on a, on a calm level, discuss your anger. But the minute that they do that, they've imbalanced the power. And that's when they typically go in just like a lion hunting a gazelle, right? Once the, once the animal is wounded, they go in for the kill. And it's just part, what I've learned is that it's just part of humanity, not to take it personally, because it is rampant everywhere. You know, everyone is susceptible to that. But, but I noticed that, you know, when my daughter's very emotionally healthy and I noticed that she's just calm, even when someone's being aggressive with her, she's calm. And I've asked her and she says, my immediate response, my immediate emotional response is, is not to attack. My immediate response is to stay, stay calm. And she said, I always remember that one of my options is to say nothing and do nothing. Right. You know, she maintains, she stays in her power. Right. And she does not give it up. I always say boundaries go in both directions. So I was wondering how, how Cynthia will respond to that and what she's learned in her experiences as well. I, for the most part, have practiced nonviolence. So remaining calm and uh, being quiet and not uh, detaching myself from the negativity coming my way. Um, it's only uh, and there have been. That's what I, 90% of the time, that's what I do. In my current situation, um, I, there's the balance between keeping calm and then feeling like I do need to speak up. I have a very hard time speaking up for myself. It's uh, probably one of my strongest weaknesses. Um, and so there was a time at my work recently where I did speak up. And it's, uh, I work in an environment where you're supposed to be on the phone making calls and closing business. And in this particular instance, um, on a Friday, I mean, people, as I say, they're totally unfocused and not really doing the work, even though we are required to be on the phones and, and you know, closing opportunities and such. And I have, I have, there's a pattern that has gone on where they ridicule what I'm saying or they laugh at what I'm saying or they have to be oh, commentary. Nice. But at the same time, they're not on the phones. And so in this particular instance, I spoke back and I said, you know something, at least, you know, at least I'm on the phones like we're supposed to be doing. Uh, and at least I'm closing business. That's all I'm trying to do. Uh, and that, I mean, just that little stance of like back off. 
um, after several incidences like this, uh, where it's demoralizing, it's like, why aren't you on? Why are you doing the work that we're supposed to be doing? So I tell that. Um, well, we're just fooling, and it's it's and it's uh, Friday. You know, it's we've had a hard week. We're just fooling, mm. and. I'm the type that I read underneath. I see, I feel the aggression, and I uh, these people aren't in touch with themselves emotionally. So they do. They think they're just having fun. Right. That's about as that's about as uh, in depth as their analysis of that can be. Um, and so, you know, I left I left feeling, you know, quite demoralized. But at least I spoke up. So I don't know. For myself, it's hard to know when I can speak up because sometimes right. I feel like when I do speak up and stand up for myself, there will be um, secondary injury. There will well, be. I, think, uh, mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to um, uh, say that this is like very very typical. You know, like you had said, it's repetitive of the family dynamic where everybody has a role, and I always say poop travels downhill, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was in a man. I was a manager for many, many years, and we had rules of behavior, right? And those rules of behavior usually comes from a policy on ethics, right? And how we treat people, and how we view people, and how we value people. Again, if that hasn't been made clear, right, in a family, or yeah. in your place of employment, or with your therapist, right? then we're going to see everybody will fit a, a typically fit a role, right? So you have yeah. the, you have the, uh, the good girl, you have the golden child, you have the flying monkeys and everybody, because the, the person with the most authority, right? The most perceived power, right? Will, will reward those people in those particular positions. And so, and so uh, the scapegoat, you know, which I have been, you know, people have attempted to make me the scapegoat several times. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say uh, recently, not very successfully, because I just don't, I just don't, uh, that's not a role that I agree to fit into, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, for example, if I was in that situation, and I have been in that situation pretty recently, um, I just talk about the, what are the rules of behavior here? Right. What are, what are the rules of personal interaction here? What are the rules on team building here when we're, when we're discussing things mm -hmm. on, a, on a team? Where the where the boundaries start? Where do the boundaries end? And like I say, the flow of energy go, always goes in both directions, it goes out and it come goes back in. So. Um, but those are just my um, immediate observations. And a, and a lot of times we have to make tough dis decisions early oh. on. Uh, early on, is this a place that we want to work? Is this a place deserving, right? Am I, am I, because right. I we're paid for the value of our services, right? But we also can decide whether someone is valuing those, our services and valuing us, right? At a level that's acceptable to, to me, to you, you see? And that is a, a that is a right that every person on this earth has. We have Absolutely. a right to be treated with mutual respect. Okay, that's not asking for too much, regardless of what we were taught in in childhood. I but that's you know, that's that's my first reaction to to hearing that because um, I believe me, I have I have uh, 
you know, in a 40-year career, uh, that has happened to me repeatedly, you know, until until I was more clear on what my rights were as a person, until I was clear on what what those boundaries um, are, until I was clear on what that person in authority, what that person's roles and responsibilities and authorities really were, where they start and where they finish. And then I had no problem discussing di discussing it with those folks at that level, where they're you know, and and just breaking it down. And you can learn a lot. You can learn a lot from people by asking them questions about where those authorities and those boundaries and what is a what is a uh, the top person in the organizational. What is their responsibility in assuring a, that we work in a peaceful, harmonious environment? Like that, by the way, laws protect. Right. Laws are in place to ensure that. So. Paula, let's talk about your, um, you know, you've listened now for, you know, 15 minutes as we've gone into this. I'm sure I know when I hear things like this, I have a lot of, uh, you know, thoughts running around different scenarios that have happened, what I've done, what, what this reminds me of. So what's running through your mind and what what has your experience been with this in terms of your childhood and today? You know, let me tell you a little bit of my childhood. Um, um, well, my, my my background, actually, I, I was born in Kuwait, so it was a, a Muslim country. I was uh, born to two Indian parents, so we came from a conservative, uh, controlling background. Um, and uh, my my dad was an alcoholic, and I think my mom was just struggling to survive. Um, I remember uh, my mom's still alive, my dad's passed. My mom... Uh, and I'm the youngest of four siblings, as Cynthia is as well. Um, my, I think my mom just struggled to keep it together. I, I thought she started out as a, like a codependent, but I think she, it became a very narcissistic situation for her uh, because she was forced to struggle to uh, keep her sanity, to keep her alive, to keep us the four of us alive. Uh, you know, however she chose to uh, deal with it. But uh, my entire life, I've, uh, um, as a kid, I remember being uh, like, like uh, invisible. Um, part of it was because I was the youngest, so I was invisible. I tried my best to, you know, you try to make mom happy because if mom's going to be happy, everyone's going to be happy kind of situation. If you do well at school, mom's going to be happy. But of course, you're, you're not the controlling factor. But I, I thought I was. Um, but. Um, so it was a very uh, uh, very rough childhood as far as my parents were concerned because it was always uh, very chaotic in the house. Um, so, you know, we kind of all did the best we could, but um, it kind of has its repercussions on all of us. Uh, just even watching my siblings as adults and myself, uh, we've all dealt with it in different different ways. And I think I was a scapegoat right uh, in that. Uh, uh, my siblings and my mom are very aggressive, very uh, overbearing people, so I feel I was the scapegoat. And uh, I found out in my uh, further relationships as I became an adult, uh, the same thing applied. I went from, you know, very controlling parents to a controlling first husband. I stayed with him for 11 years and actually ran away from uh 
from the country I was living in and I came to the States and I fell right away into another controlling relationship which uh, lasted for 23 years. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. When I was in the situation, obviously, I, I knew I was man- being manipulated or brainwashed in a very, very, uh, very slow process. You know, you don't even realize you're happen- that's happening until now, I guess. Um, I got divorced four years ago, and uh, I was targeted even before I was divorced by the abuse I was with for the last three years. Uh, it was a very, um, um, it, it was a very comfortable slide from one relationship to the other for me because I did what I knew best. Uh, I did what felt safe, ironically, but unfortunately for me, he was, uh, um, he was uh, the most. Uh, he turned out to be abusive as well, besides being very controlling and manipulative, and. Uh, you know, it was has been a rough three years, but uh, for me, um, I think he was uh, the one that actually woke me up from my uh, my slumber. I was asleep for 50 years of my life, uh, just uh, going one day to the other, you know, just doing what I knew. Um, and uh, I realized being with this abuse in the last three years, he... he he woke me up. He jolted me because uh, I allowed uh, things that I didn't think I would allow. But, you know, um, I guess that was part of my waking up journey. And, uh, yeah, he's been a, a big a big factor in this. Uh, um, but, uh, Paula, do you feel like it... You this is a question I've asked myself. Um, I felt like, and I'm not, you know, this is a, it's an interesting answer to this and the answer can change depending on what mood I'm in. (laughs) But sometimes I wonder, did things really need to get as bad as they got in order for me to wake up? Like, was that, was that necessary for me to finally wake up? So what do you think about that statement? Right, and that's just it, right? What you don't know, you don't know. When you're being brainwashed by manipulators all your life, that is that is the normal. For mm-hmm. me, uh, being in this controlling relationship for the last three years, it wasn't that abnormal till till uh, uh, the abuse set in, and then uh, what I was allowing, uh, I was surprised at myself because everything. That he, every time he pushed my boundaries, uh, I told myself, "What else are you going to let uh, let him do?" Uh, and the uh, 
one of the discards, or she discarded me nine times, and I went back um, for whatever reasons. I went back, he came back, whatever it was, but it was the situation. Uh, one of the times, he actually picked me up from the car and threw me out of the car onto the road. And I said to myself, thank you, Lord, for doing that to me. I'm never going back. And what did I do? I went back. So at that point, I told myself, what are you waiting for, a punch in your face? Um, right. You know, what is, what is it? What is it that's going to make you stop? And I didn't. I, I did it for another whole year after that. So, yes, it do was. You, uh, do you feel yeah. uh, any shame around that? Or um, are you okay with that this is what you needed to do to get where you are right now? Uh, well, at, while I was going through it, there was a lot of shame involved. Mm -hmm. Uh, even after the, um, you know, we broke up a year ago, uh, uh, I was even embarrassed to admit that I was uh, abused. I think my first, the first, um, 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 I think my first step, besides learning about uh, narcissistic abuse uh, on YouTube's and whatever, my first step was actually to admit to myself um, that. I was abused. I actually told a few friends I was abused right. because that was the that was the hardest part for me because I truly did not want that on my resume. No, you Nobody don't. Does. But you know, you the minute Nobody that you does. did that, you started taking your power back. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. That was my first step, and of course, it's been a lot of baby steps uh, <laughs> yeah. since then. But that was my first step. I lived in denial with him for the three years because I did not want to believe that, you know, somebody is telling me they love me, surely they're not abusing me. You know, it doesn't make sense in your head as a, I just a non narcissist. Yes. I just wanted to interject here and, and say, you know, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that because you yes. are a, a beautiful, strong, resilient, intelligent woman, you know, and and I also just wanted to explain to to us here and and to the listeners that during abuse there's there's a peptide addiction, there's chemical changes that take place in the body, and we have so much shame that we're dealing with anyway, right? From the betrayal that we're experiencing. However, however, we also have to deal with peptide addiction. So actually, when we when we're I mean to go through through such a you know a horrific experience, then go, go back and then then punish ourselves some, some more for doing that. When there's a there's a chemical changes that are going going on in our bodies that bring us back to the abusers, and and we mistake that it's called trauma bonding, and we mistake that for love, but that's not love. But so again, in this in this power imbalance. We have to, like Kristen had spoke of early on, we have to bring this into our level of awareness as to the dynamics of what really are going on. And we are not, we are not responsible for what happened to us. We are not powerless. But that feeling of powerless happens because all of us were abused as children. And so we relate the aggressor, the person who's who's inflicting the pain, as the only one who has the power to alleviate our pain. And that is just absolutely false. So we bring our childhood beliefs of powerlessness and defensiveness with us. 
And if you add upon that, this trauma bonding, these chemical changes that take place in our bodies, now we're as adults, right? Then, then we have lots of uh, factors that are impacting our belief system and our uh, belief system in terms of our, our power and, a, and a, a chemical addiction from the trauma bonding on top of that. So I write about this a lot in my book to bring it into people's awareness that they are not responsible for that pain. They are not the source of their pain. Okay, they're the source of, of our, we have the source of our joy. And like Paula had, had spoken about, and when we know better, well, yes, when we know better, but it's not exactly that, it's when we, we believe we're worthy of that knowledge, right? And I, and I heard in your story, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you reach a point where you, where, where it's just too much for us to handle and we, and we understand, but it's our resilience that is your power that was speaking to you. You see, that is, that is your power to make that decision to say it stops now, to say I was abused. That takes amazing amount of power and courage to do that. You know, so, so, you know, you know, I'm listening and, and, um, and, you know, it's very upsetting to me personally to, to hear that. And um, I've been there. We all have been there, you know, and it all has to do with people inflicting pain, using their authority position, using our vulnerability to overpower us. When, I mean, obviously we have four women here today, very, very powerful, bright women, right? And so, again, this doesn't have to do with our powerlessness. This has to do with our belief about our powerlessness and, and pain and who's inflicting that pain and our worthiness as well. So all, those are all factors that we have to address, you know, through our healing. And, uh, and as we do, like I say, the, you know, I say this repeatedly, the fog begins to lift and the, the colors of the sky break through that fog. And that in itself could be extremely terrifying because we're not accustomed to it, right? And we don't believe we're worthy of that. So um, in, in Paula's journey and in Cynthia's journey and all our journeys, they say it's not, it's not a linear path. They say it's more of a spiral, right? We'll, we'll spiral through healing and then we go back and we may have to you know, reinforce that lesson again. So we're tr we may be triggered again and again and again. So it's an incremental building of that power. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it, it, it does. does. And, and I feel that's exactly, uh, for me, uh, that's exactly what my uh, journey has been. It's, uh, um, I have had friends that I knew in my childhood that have called me and said, you know, you, you are brave. You can do this. And I remember being brave. Um, but when I had to actually protect myself, I became invisible again. And but I'm sorry I'm emotional, but oh, there's nothing more hard. emotional than these kinds of topics, so it is totally okay. okay. Totally okay. It's, a, it's, it's hard for me to talk about it without getting emotional. Here, because, let, let me let me tell you something, Paula, that I learned because I I I learned this from a really great therapist, and it's just something, and this is for listeners too. 
because for a long time, you know, you're in that space where you're crying and, and uh, it's totally okay. A, that's totally fine. And being emotional is something that women especially are told is not okay. Um, so we tend to like apologize for being emotional. And uh, I've did that forever. And, um, and then I started speaking about sexual abuse and all kinds of things. And I was like, well, okay, so it's okay for me to be emotional. However, I'm never going to make it through this freaking speech that I'm giving in front of all these nurses and doctors. If I, you know, if I cry, so the therapist said to me, okay, listen, for specific times when you, maybe you don't want to necessarily, um, cry and not at all that you shouldn't just if you don't want to, cause it's, again, it's about taking your power. She said, as you're talking, I want you to say in your head every random thing you could possibly think of, like paperclip, soup, chair, <laughs> elephant, booger, cough. And that <laughs> takes you out of that, it, literally, scientifically, it takes you out of that place in your brain where your emotions are <laughs> sitting there in the front. And it puts you into, um, you know, a calmer state where you can use the tears and the inflection to further your story, but they don't crash over you like a wave and mute you. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, yes it does. I'm going to think booger. <laughs> I always have to throw one in there like that. like to. <laughs> then I remember, oh, right, my sense of humor is intact. Got it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, my sense of humor has actually kept me alive uh, yes. in the last year, so thank God for that. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And it's, I, it's being around other people that have been through it and the four of us, you know, using your voice and stating what's happening with you and knowing that you're not being shamed by anyone that is um, actively participating in this conversation. That helps. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, when I was listening to Cynthia and you, Paula, I was thinking about times when I've been in situations at work or at home or wherever where, you know, I was really being abused and uh, and I, whether it was light, quote unquote, abuse or it was really darn harsh, you know, somebody was touching me inappropriately, you know, whatever, whatever the situation, my thoughts about myself and about um it was like, it was like this. It was like when I would stand up for myself, regardless of how anybody reacted, whether they laughed right in my face, didn't matter. It was the journey from leaving the situation to my car that kind of set the tone for whether or not I claimed any personal power out of that confrontation. And that journey from the situation to my car, if it was they're all laughing at you there, it was like I turned the bully onto myself. And I didn't, and, and so I made it into this bigger thing than it needed to be. Not saying that those people couldn't have, you know, they probably were laughing. They probably were snickering. They probably do to this day, but that doesn't matter because it wasn't happening in front of my face. It was like creating that story in my head that made, that stripped away any power I had just gained from that empowering moment. So I think that's a big piece too, is like learning how to wrestle with how you have been taught to talk to yourself in your own head. Exactly. That's a really, really good point, right? Because we, we have now learned that in childhood, 
right? So we, we end up being this little child where we overestimate the danger and we, and we have not learned how to gauge that danger. We haven't learned how to, we haven't learned how to gauge what our abilities are to deal with that danger, right? And so we're constantly our entire, entire lives, um, our perception of that, uh, of what our power is, is totally skewed our entire lives until like excellent example until you go out there and you have to take those risks and it's terrifying. It's terrifying. I've been there, you know, I, I literally ended a marriage and raised my daughter alone, you know, as a, as a single parent after, after a 20 year marriage. And, uh, but I was willing to take that risk and it was a leap of faith that we have, we have to take. And thank goodness, you know, I was, uh, and that was the most important decision that I made in, in my healing was the last 10 years since, since I got divorced in an abusive relationship, right. And raised my daughter alone as a single parent for 10 years. So it's terrifying. And, and, uh, but I just want to discuss that here and to the listeners as well, this is not easy. Because we have to basically rebirth, you know, re reparent mm-hmm. ourselves all over, all over again. But or it, uh, for the first time. For the first time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I realized that I that I had to do that, and and uh, I myself was absolutely totally neglect. When I think back, I realized when I was in my early forties. I'm 61 now. This hit me that I had raised myself. And I had realized that I, I, I had just, uh, and Paul had discussed this too about being invisible, and Cynthia as well. And um, I just realized that I had, f- from childhood up until my, four, I, had, I had parented myself, I had raised myself. No one had ever told me that they loved me. No one had ever, the only solace I, I received is that when at my friends' homes and in school where I excelled. So, but that was, that was a tough one for me to swallow, to realize that I had been totally neglected and no one, not once in my life, in my family had ever told me that they loved me. So, so it was, uh, it was a tough one to swallow, but we increment, you know, we, we, it's one step forward, two steps back. And so, so it's this learning process. And as we struggle, we survive and, and, Fortunately, in, in our lineage, right, we we inherit resilience as well. We inherit pain, but we inherit resilience. So, uh, you know, personally, I, I um, you know, I thank my my relatives, <laughs> and I actually went back to the old country in Greece and actually thanked my relatives, my ancestors, you know, for for providing me the resilience and being able to survive. I have I have two aunts in my family who committed suicide as a result of mm-hmm. abuse. So, so I understand, I've seen the tragedy front and center, but to be here today is very humbling to me and, and to realize that that is our power, right? We survived. And not well, only we survived, we, we, we are speaking out. Um, Cynthia is, 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 um, has a difficulty, you know, in speaking up, but here she is today. And, you know, hats off to, to everyone here on the panel today. That is power. I want to close this with um, 
the two of you. So let's um, let's talk to you, Cynthia, first. Um, the thing that I like about doing these kinds of shows is it lets people know that where other people are at on their journey, not anyone is below anyone or anyone is above anyone. It's just here's another story about someone who's going through what all of us go through and this is where this is where they're at with their journey this is what their experience has been so if if you can you know help close out um, this particular show with why it was important for you to use your voice on this particular show that you know that we're talking about because it doesn't get it any more public than speaking into a microphone (laughs) i would say that it's uh to develop strength and Um, Back to the original point, and I'll be very brief with this, but uh, what Evelyn was saying, it's like tiny baby steps. I mean, my first step in speaking up was to get rid of that really bad therapist that I had that was a narcissist. And by speaking up and then no contact, I gained some um, confidence in my voice. And then other incremental steps thereafter, I joined a writing group. Uh, and the woman was uh, the leader of it was, um, you know, needing for me to give my power away to her. I stood up to her and I wrote my stories. My the last story was one in a contest within this group, uh, which was all about it was called um, one um, lost the war and one no lost the battle and won the war. Uh, and it was specifically to the point that I wasn't going to bow down and give my power away to somebody who wanted me to because I was strong and my power is for me, not for anyone else. So it's been little incremental uh, and then with work, the same thing. Um, if you if you don't want to be making your phone calls, then that's your thing. You know, incrementally speaking up and, and here speaking up um, is helping to strengthen me as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's so funny that you say that because it just made me think of something too at the really the baby step beginning. I mean, we're, I'm still doing baby steps in different ways. Just when you think you've figured it out, you're like, oh, a whole new lesson plan. Fabulous. But uh, I, uh, I, I joined a writing group, you know, like you're talking about. And the woman that led it was very dynamic and, um, you know, a, a decent writer, um, even a great writer in some respects. And this was my first time out of the gate, like really sharing my innards um, on paper. And uh, she, I wrote this soul scorching thing and she um, turned around and like blasted me in front of the group for sharing it with, because I put it online, which was my choice Mm -hmm. to do that. And um, she said, I've broken the bounds of the group by putting this online. It was just a total power play and a dig at me. And I was like, wait a minute. And she used that word Luddite, you know, that you had said earlier about herself. And um, when I was like, I don't understand where you're coming from. Why, why is it this breaking the bounds or the sanctity of this group? I'm not putting anyone else's writing online. I just put my own. Mm-hmm. And uh, I realized years later, I was so ashamed. I left the group. I felt horrible about myself, all these things. And then I realized years later, oh, no, that was me grabbing some of my power and saying, screw you to this lady. And I could have been walking away from it going, good for you, honey. That was fantastic. And instead, I spent years feeling ashamed about myself taking, how dare I have power? So it's kind of fascinating um, 
you know, when you do these incremental steps, like I said, that same thing, like how you talk to yourself plays a, an important role in, in whether or not you really own that power that you just took. Mm-hmm. Good point. So um, let's go to you, Paula. How about you? Why was this important, you know, to do this for you? And I hope you guys will come on again because there's no way we can get through all, every, all of our stories in a tiny little hour. But um, this is just a smidge, a teeny, teeny, teeny yeah. piece. But Paula, how about you? What, what resonates with you right now if you take a breath and well, think about this? What, what's coming up for you? Well, well first, I'd, um, I'd love to come back again. Um, what, what I feel right now that I'm actually trying to do is change my DNA. So it's going to be mm-hmm. baby steps, uh, very slowly. And I know myself, I've come, uh, leaps and bounds in the last year because I know what I started as. Um, secondly, I'd, I'd like to thank Evelyn because she actually is the one who encouraged me to write. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I'm, I'm very pleased I did that because that has been like a huge healing thing for me to, you know, to write and to share my stories with others. You know, reading other people's stories was like so validating for me because I, I thought I was going crazy till I read other people's exact identical story as mine. And I was like, thank goodness for that. So my writing has helped quite a bit uh, for myself in you my write, healing. You write beautifully, by the way. Just, just very very powerful in your writing and it's having a very very positive influence on other people as well it's had a huge i'm an abuse survivor myself right so i get validation from your writing that's why i say together we're healing together we're thriving that's our power that's the power uh that we have collectively it really is amazing so thank you and you're welcome (laughs) thank you very much ladies that's all i have well, thank you for coming on and doing this. Yes, we will do. We will definitely do more shows. And um, Evelyn, thanks for putting this together, because I think for listeners, the thing that I hear consistently uh, with your series, Evelyn, especially, and then I hear this, of course, in other series as well, is people that are in trauma need to hear down to the minutia exactly what someone else has gone through and that's so opposite of what we're told like we're told to shut up we've already said that be quiet you know and all these ways to mute our voices and that's the exact opposite of what you know other people going through this need in order to help them heal i it it helps me to hear the details of how did somebody react in that and what was their abuse about and and so on because it makes you realize you're not alone you're not insane and um and that you will get through this and you know it so it's really powerful that you all agreed to come on and and be a part of this so i thank you to to all of you yes thank you thank you thank you thank you you for uh having this uh show absolutely it's my it's my favorite thing Talk about using your voice, man. Talk about supercharging your healing. Get a mic in front of you and do a podcast. That is called healing, writing, all those things. Get it out of you. Absolutely. And thank you, of course, to our listeners. You are tuning in to our fantastic series on Mental Health News Radio, Take Your Power Back with Evelyn Ryan. You can find out more information about um, Evelyn's work by going to her website at Your Life 
lifter.com and you can go to Amazon and type in Evelyn M. Ryan or take your power back and um, you'll find her incredible book. So thank you to our listeners and we will tune in next time. But never without good intentions I heat up and act on my emotions Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com If you have a question or would like to be a guest Become a podcaster on our network Or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air Please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial.